this Sunday night and next Sunday night. And we will uh, wrap up the book of Revelation, starting chapter 22 tonight. And I've had this title for a few weeks, and I suppose it's strictly more relevant now when you get to this last chapter, though John has been kind of edging a little bit into it since chapter 21. But now, heaven, what it will be like and how to get there. We're going to talk about that this week and then in the, uh, the wrap-up next Sunday night. So I'm going to read uh, Revelation 22. Just kind of follow along. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. The city is, he's continuing now, though you wouldn't know it without last week's chapter 21 study. The city is the New Jerusalem coming down. New Jerusalem is not a city in the Middle East. Don't think in that. New Jerusalem, he identifies it as the bride of Christ. I will show you the bride. And then he goes on and talks about New Jerusalem coming down. It's not a city. It's, it's a picture of the people of God, the bride of Christ, the completeness of all that God has for us through Christ Jesus. And so that imagery continues now into this chapter. So there's this river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding to its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Handel wasn't the first one to think of those words. And he said to me, verse 6, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I am John. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. That, that's an interesting phrase, because remember, we were looking at the beginning of the book of the seven seals, and they're sealed, and only the Lamb can open the seals so that you have this flow of history, the meaning of history 
it might not be taught in all the universities and schools and textbooks on history, but the meaning of this world's history is all tied up with God's redemptive work in Christ, and it, and it follows a pattern, and it, and it, and it flows right from, right from uh, the coming of Christ right through to his second coming. And so there's a sequence, and you have to wait as these seals are open. But now he's looking at it from the perspective of the end. I mean, the end hasn't happened yet, but John is seeing the end as though it's happening. And so, okay, no, no sealing anything up anymore. We're done. That, that's what this is saying. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And these interesting words, we'll get to these more next week. Let the evildoer still do evil. And the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon. Bringing my recompense. That's an interesting word. There's, there's, this, there's this coming... Uh, Judgment, justice, reward, punishment. It's all tied up in that word recompense. Something, an an appropriate response to every person's life and their response to God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. To repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The beginning and the end. We've heard this over and over again, that phrase through Revelation. And you think of creation and recreation. Alpha and Omega. The beginning, the end. Everything is, everything is contained in Christ. 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. So that they may have the right to the tree of life. And that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs. Uh, all, all through the Bible, uh, Jewish readers would have understood this as pagans, the Gentiles, those outside the covenant. But of course, with the coming of Christ, you have Jew, Gentile, all the nations. When he said, let me show you the bride, and it's this throng, this sea of people of all nations, tongues, and tribes. So now it's those outside of Christ, the pagan, those that refuse salvation and redemption and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murders and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Why else would you practice it? You're not forced to. There's a love for it. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Remember? Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. The bright and morning star. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The root of David and the descendant of David. So you have the one who, the one who brought David into this world and the descendant of David. It's the same person. You get this picture of who Christ is and all of his deity and glory. I am the root and the descendant of David. The bright morning star. Peter uses that phrase. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. It's not enough just to hear, it's, it's inviting others. There's the missionary thrust here. Let the one who is thirsty, come. 
Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And then 18. This is Now, notice if you go back to 16, the speaker here, who's the speaker? It's Jesus. It's, so Jesus is still the speaker here. So we should take these words of Jesus seriously. I warn. You ever think of Jesus as warning? I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. John says, Come, come, Lord Jesus. I'm coming soon. Come, I'm ready. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's look at a few things. The river of the water of life, it, it's how it starts out, and it kind of. It kind of, uh, like a river would, it, it channels right through the text. It's kind of a theme of this text. You see it in that first verse, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It probably shouldn't surprise us, this imagery. It's because it's a very common theme. The Holy Spirit, in inspiring the writers of Scripture... The Holy Spirit draws us into this image, the the, uh, life-giving nature of the presence of God and the presence of His Spirit. Look at things like Psalm uh, 46.4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Psalm 1, he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Now, again, we need to remind ourselves that John, in his vision, is still describing this city of God coming down out of heaven. That's in uh, 21.2 and then 10. And so, like the psalmist's description, John sees this this picture. It's the same imagery, this central river, picturing the the life flowing out of the reign of, of God. Oh, if only, if only we could get the world to believe this. If only we could get every person who is, uh, who is pulled in the direction of any particular kind of temptation that always looks inviting and enticing and life-producing. If, if you could ever uh, get people to understand that... What, what do you think of when you think of God. Do you think of someone who is just there to diminish life and diminish your enjoyment? Or do you think of this, a river, where things just naturally grow by it? Something life-producing. So, so I take that to mean that the reign of God through Christ, it's the exact opposite of, it's the exact opposite of anything else that would dry up life. How's your yard doing these days if you're not putting the sprinkler on it? You, you see what happens without water? It just dries up. And, and, and John in this vision sees the presence of God as being the exact opposite of that. 
it's, it's an environment where things thrive as they're meant to thrive. Jesus reminded us. He reminded us because we forget it. He said, it's, it's the thief who comes to kill and destroy. I came to give you life. You get it in the Old Testament where Joshua speaks to the children of Israel and he says, I'm setting before you this day. I'm setting before you this day cursing and life. Door number one, cursing. Door number two, life. And then like they're not bright enough to figure it out. Choose life. (laughs) There's this. This is really bad. There's this. This is really good. Oh, choose this one. And we miss it so often, don't we? Jesus spoke of the richness of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. And he uses these very same terms. It shouldn't surprise us because he's the speaker here in this vision in the book of Revelation. So it shouldn't surprise us that he's saying the very same thing. He talks to that Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this is the well, will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. That's, that's awkward English, but it's perfectly the way the Greek reads it. Will never, will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will become in him, listen, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Is that the same idea I saw from the throne of God in the land, this river? How those words just tie in with John's uh, final vision. Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman and, and, and he separates himself from all other options in terms of How are the deepest longings of life satisfied? They will not be satisfied outside of Christ. They will not be satisfied outside of Christ. That's what what John sees in this vision right at the close of the age. That's what Jesus taught the whole time. This, This great river that flows... 22-1, from the throne of God and the Lamb. He's not talking about a literal river any more than Jesus was talking about a literal gusher popping out of your chest. He's seeing in picture form this the truth revealed that, that only God can originate it. Only God can sustain it. It comes from his throne. That means his rule. The effects... Point number two. The effects of the river of the water of life from the throne of God. It says, second verse now, we're not going to do it all verse by verse, but this theme I want to just look at tonight for a little while. Through the middle of the street of the city. See that? Also on either side, this is verse two, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And now you're getting just these little glimpses, this little picture of this new creation. New heaven, new earth, nations. This is not going to be just one little person who comes to know Jesus, as beautiful as that is. This is going to be something cosmic that will be done. It will change nations. It will change this planet. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And you get this picture of this. It's really one of the most unfortunate um, verse break places in the whole New Testament. 
that thought that John began in verse 1, it's actually completed in the first part of verse 2. So the words describe the central location of the river of the water of life through the middle of the street of the city. So in other words, in other words, this, this life, it's, it's the central feature of everything God does through his church and the people of God, the new Jerusalem. And we're met, we're met to see the contrast to the first result of the fall bringing mortality, bringing death. The rest of the second verse is a picture of the effect of the life of God on all those who dwell around his throne. What does it do? And the thing that he drills down into is this idea of the tree of life, this reference to the tree of life. Again, John's totally unconcerned that you can't have one tree growing on both sides of the river. It's, 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 a, it's a picture. And he sees this tree of life as, as a theological link. You can see what's happening here if you don't miss it. There's a, there's a direct link in this reference to the old creation and the tree where the fall took place to the new creation. Where, and you have this tree again. I was looking at those verses of the fall of man in Genesis 1 through 3. We can't read all that, but if you, if you have verses 7, 8, and 9 there of Genesis 2. Are those in your notes? Okay, and then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. He didn't do that. He created elephants. He created aardvarks. He created toads. He created lizards. He created cattle he created puppies he created eagles but he didn't do that with them he just spoke them into existence this is the difference now puppies are people too no they aren't it's a cute bumper sticker it's a lie god formed man breathed into him the breath of life and the woman was taken from him there's there's a different order of creation here And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know a lot about them, but they're there, we're told. So, so in their disobedience, Adam and Eve, they lost the right to closeness to this tree of life whatever that entails people guess but in words that are hard to explain god banishes them from partaking of the tree of life and the potential somehow the potential of some kind of immortality in a fallen state that's what people speculate so genesis 3 22 to 24 and then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life to eat and live forever. See, so there's your, there's your hint. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
at the east of the Garden of Eden and placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so whatever else this means, in very simple terms, in his sinful, fallen, rebellious condition, eternal life might be what we all long for, but, but we can't have, we're not ready for it. Outside of Christ, eternal life is, you know, people long for immortality who don't know what to do on a rainy Saturday. That, that's what we're like. We have this, this paradox. Then Jesus comes, God incarnate. And, what, and the whole design, I've said it many times, is to restore what was lost. Bestowing eternal life. What he couldn't have in the garden through his sin, Jesus comes to bring. You see the connection? So you get, you know the verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Perish doesn't mean dying because even people who believe in Jesus die. Perish is, is different. It's deeper. Should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 6.54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 20.31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. He wasn't speaking to corpses. He was speaking to people who were alive. But eternal life, what was lost in the garden, brought back through Christ. And so John, he sees this vision of the new creation and central, there's this tree of life. Oh, there it is again. Only here, it's, it's right in the middle. Countless references could be piled up to show the nature of Christ's mission. Oh, how it gets missed. Oh, how it gets missed. It wasn't just to perform miracles. It wasn't just to give wonderful teaching, love one another. It was to undo the curse. It was to undo what was lost through sin. It was to bring eternal life back to men and women. But here's the important point. When we receive and experience what we receive in this present age of eternal life is just its initial manifestations, not all of it. We're forgiven. And through faith in Jesus Christ, given the precious hope of the age to come, but we still die. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is where John's vision kind of shines for us in anticipation. What he's seeing is the new creation. And there's this river of the water of life. He sees the tree of life. Notice, life, waters of life, tree of life, river of life. And then he sees the effects of these things. And, and he describes uh, in picture form this, this uh, uninterrupted fruitfulness of the fruit and the leaves. It, it doesn't experience the loss of life that we know too well here. It's life that is uh, without any of the limitations. 
you're sitting tonight. Just curious, how many people you're sitting beside, beside uh, maybe you're married, uh, engaged, you're sitting beside someone you love. Let me see your hand. Put it up just for a minute. There's a reason for this. Sitting beside someone you love. Now, listen to me. That's a wonderful thing. It's no small blessing. Let me tell you something. You can't keep that person. Whoever goes first, it's not an if. You can't keep that person. You're going to lose them. Sooner or later, under some form of circumstance, you can't keep that person. And if you didn't have this hope of what we're talking about tonight, what, what, a, what a sad thought it would be. So John, he sees this tree of life and the healing of the nations and, and, the, and, and, the, and the constant growth and flourishing, fruit-bearing foliage that's always on this tree. And what he's trying to say is, we, we can't relate to it very well, but there's coming, there is coming a new creation where we will never have the experience of running out of time. I experience, every time I try to repair something around our house, I experience the frustration of having a desire that outstrips my abilities. And you have intentions that outstrip the time you have. We, 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 we live in this environment of not enough. We live constantly in this environment of running out. This is a wonderful way to end studying this book this week and next. He's, he's talking about, he sees this picture. It's, it is just a picture, but it's picturing a reality. No relationship will terminate in heaven. None. None will end. No love will grow cold or empty. Boredom will never set in. Strength will never lag behind our best intention. We will never run out of anything that we need for satisfaction and well-being. In other words, the new creation will purge creation of barrenness and emptiness. We don't experience all of this right now. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5, 4, he says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. That, that's, that's my dad right now. That's people who have died and gone to be with Jesus, just in their spirits. He says it's, it's incomplete, it's unclothed but that we would be further clothed. That's the resurrected body. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. There's the new creation. Swallowed up by life. I love it. It's the good kind of jaws. We will find all of our present limitations devoured, beaten back. What did they sing on worship night? It was a great song. Death Death was arrested. 
and my life began. I mean, that, that doesn't happen completely here and now. Sometimes songs paint it like it's all happening now. It's not, but that's what's coming. That's what's coming. Three, we're almost done. The undiminished presence of God, three, four, and five. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We'll talk more next week, but... With these verses, John states explicitly what he has just been implying with all of these pictures about the city of God and the the river of life. He says, no longer will there be anything accursed. So the most striking feature here about this heavenly city is this vision of the face of God. We, won't, we can't see the face of God now. God speaks to Moses and he says, I, I can't show you my face. You, you can't see my face and live. But in, in the new creation, it, it will be different. And there will be, um, there will be a majesty and a splendor and all of a sudden we'll realize that even all the great songs that we sang didn't have a clue about what the greatness of God was actually like. What will, it, what will it be like? Do you ever? What will it be like to see God's face? It'll be a different experience. He doesn't have a body like this. The Bible says that. But but somehow, we we will we will see him unmediated in a way that we we can't handle now. So life in the city of God will be marked by a degree of intimacy with God that our very best times of blessing will just seem colorless and pale. Earlier on, while the church was being persecuted, the people of God, Revelation 7, 3, were marked on their foreheads. It says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And now John sees more than just a mark of protection. He says he sees the, the name of God himself. They are, they are eternally, uh, uninterruptedly, deeply possessed by God. And all the influences of sin, even the ones that we've come to just accept as normal, all the influences of sin will be banished. Everything that's accursed will be gone. I wonder, you know, you have these passages like this and you wonder, surely there could have, there should have been a way to tell us exactly what the new creation is going to be like without just all these pictures and visions. But why not, why not just tell us exactly every detail about it? And I, I, this is just me. I can't show you chapter and verse. 
I think we would find life here unbearable if we knew exactly what it was going to be like. When I was little, um, I'm learning to enjoy foods that that, uh, when I was little I never enjoyed at all. And when I was little, you would get things like like Brussels sprouts or cauliflower. What wretched stuff that is. I'm sure that's the result of the fall. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then there'd be dessert. And you're, you're just, you're not interested in Brussels sprouts if you can see dessert on the counter. Big triple layered chocolate cake and Brussels sprouts. So I think what God does in his mercy is, is he hides that. And just eat your Brussels sprouts. But there is a new creation coming. There is a new creation coming. Oh, don't ever, don't ever think of the new creation as less real than this creation. This is the shadow, C.S. Lewis used to say. This is the shadow. The new creation casting the shadow, that's the reality. And that's where we're headed. Everyone said?